You will never believe who's in the DMs. It was a professional WhatsApp message that I oh. received from a very high-profile New Zealander. Who's WhatsApp to you? Oh. It's not natural for me to like organically reply to people. It's true. I just get left on screen all the time. I've left him on scene, so. Oh, wow. Look at you go, girl. Look at you go. Grant Robertson would be a much bigger threat to Lamingtons than Lamingtons would be a threat to Grant Robertson. Not the slushies! I wonder whether or not anyone ever asked Barack Obama and John Key if they met because they were of similar age. High taxing, big spending, big government. OK, Boomer. National will get New Zealand back on track. New Zealand is the greatest little country in the world. Hello and welcome to another episode of your semi-weekly Iron Duke podcast, your recap of all things policy, politics, where we take you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits, and anything that fits from around the globe and New Zealand. I'm joined by senior consultant Maddie Burgess-Smith. What is on the table for this week, Maddie? Kia ora, Byron. Well, we've been away for a week because you've been away for a week and you are half of the talent and all the good looks. Oh, you're too kind. No problem at all. Look, we're going to run you through where Byron's been over the last week, because for once I think it's actually quite interesting. Oh. We're also going to talk about Winston Peters, the State of the Act Party, as well as the Green Party policy announcement. So Byron, kick us off. Why have you kept listeners waiting? I've kept listeners waiting because I have been on the world's most thrilling local government tour of Australia. And that's right, ladies and gentlemen, I went to five local government authority councils in Australia over the course of last week to look at two things, how they build so much stuff, and secondly, to look at the concept of city deals. And that's where I'm going to start. Can you explain what a city deal is? A city deal. Thanks, Maddie. What a great probing Shut question. Up. A city deal is an agreement between central government and local government on a set of outcomes, what we would like to see in our community and how we would like it to grow, with funding attached. Now, that's a very important part of this because what we learned in Australia is that the city deals, and I do the little bunny rabbit things with my fingers here, city deals aren't really city deals. What they are is politicians say, <laughs> I want to build this thing in this place and I would like every local government around it to be relatively supportive, so I'm going to bring them in and I'm going to put a governance structure around mm. it and they can sit on a committee and they can look across from the minister and say, Minister, I think this, and the minister goes, sure. And they build the thing that they wanted to build anyway. And the key example of that is go and Google the Western Sydney International Airport. It is in the outskirts of Sydney. It's in some farmland. They've had to delete a few hills to build a massive runway. And then they built this deal with local governments around the airport. And from the outside looking in, yeah, fair enough, you've got an anchor project and then you can build some transport and some housing and some employment hubs and, oh, this is really nice. And you listen to what the local community would like for their area. <laughs> but instead, what the Federal Government of Australia did said, we're going to build this airport here and we want you to do some other stuff, but we're not going to give you any money for it. Right. The local community isn't really getting much benefit from it other than having a giant jobs hub in the area. Yeah, but surely that means more people coming into the city for all sorts of commerce and tourism-related activities? Well, yes and no. So the airport isn't immediately connected to its neighbouring uh, local government, which is Liverpool City Council, by any kind of rapid transit or rail. Instead, they've kind of connected the public transport areas through uh, very marginal electorates. Or the federal government. Can you explain that? Politicians like to build stuff where there are votes. Yeah. And so instead of taking uh, the railway line from this new airport to the closest centre next to them, which mm -hmm. is Liverpool, which is like imagining, imagine if you built something in the Wairapa and the closest centre to you was actually Wellington and you needed to build a quick public transport link to yeah. Wellington. They've 
chosen to go... To Palmerston North. For Palmerston North, where there are votes to be won. And what we learned in Australia was that these city deals are built far more around politics politics than they are about the provisions of infrastructure. Good public policy, what people want. Or where they want to live and how they want their communities to be. We also learnt, after going to uh, places like Newcastle and um, seeing their light rail line, we saw how it can be done really, really, really well. Central government comes in, says, hey, look, here's a really transformative transport project. We're going to create light rail at grade so you can just step on, step off, pay with your pay wave card, and you've opened up a whole strip, a couple of kilometres, three and a half k's for development. Seen it done really well. Mm. And what's interesting is a lot of the local governments in Australia, so this is your city council or regional council, whatever it is, they look to New Zealand for leadership in a lot of places, such as our road pricing apparently is really good. We're really good at collecting the fuel excise duty to pay for state highway network and maintenance. In the round, you know, we actually... But we're reviewing all of that at the moment. Correct, which is because we have a really high uptake of hybrid vehicles and electric vehicles. Because the government paid everyone to go buy them. And we're not, they're not paying their fair share, so once you start to get that going, that's a bit more complicated, but do we can people talk about that. Do people understand that? So uh, I don't know. how we pay for our roads in New Zealand is that... Fuel excise tax, right? At every every litre of fuel you buy, a small portion of that cost goes towards contributing to maintain and build new roads. The National Land Transport Fund, as and it's And so if you're driving an EV, you don't put any fuel in your car, so you're not contributing anything. And there's a road user charge subsidy on that. In other words, you do not pay road user charges, which is what diesel pays. Uh, so you don't contribute to the road at all. And the reason that diesel pays road user charges is because usually they are in trucks, trucks. which are used for Freight, business. business. Oh, we're everything. getting good, but we not great. We were so close there. Very so nice. Anyway. So what else did you learn? This seemed like a really, uh, to me, uh, sitting back here at Iron Duke Land by myself, doing um, the, the work that funds the... Taimahi. Te, te the Timahi that funds Iron Trick Studios Limited. It sounded like you were just on a good holiday. But no, not quite. It you've was, learnt things. It was a busy old time, and as much as well as we learnt what not to do, we learnt that we're not as bad at things that we think we are, which is which is nice to hear. Um, so we're pretty good at planning. Uh, our local governments, for all they get bagged to do, are really good at identifying where growth can go, mm-hmm. where you can build up, where you can build out. Uh, we're pretty good at that. As we, opposed to building places for the sake of politics and votes. Uh, which is, yeah, I mean, there was a great little anecdote from, again, Liverpool, City Council in Sydney, uh, the state government, central government said, well, you're going to put some houses here. Everybody said, that's not a good idea. The government said, it's too bad. The Minister of Planning said, that's where houses are going to go. Built some houses and they are literally trucking out the sewage because they couldn't get water infrastructure built to it. Right. Because it couldn't handle the growth. So when you get planning wrong, when you get infrastructure provision wrong, it's horrible. So I learned a lot, but hey. You also went to an AFL game. I also went to an AFL game, which is just people fighting and there's a ball in between. Anyway, doesn't matter. Hot boy shit. Maddie, what is your peak of the week? My peak of the week is Hipkins rolling out working with Winston Peters. And I've been on this podcast before and a lot of people would say that I'm a Winston Peters hater. You know, that I despise New Zealand first and that'd be correct. New Zealand first has become a party more interested in toilets than in the issues that matter most to New Zealanders. Winston Peters and New Zealand First are a force for instability and chaos. And that's the last thing New Zealand needs at the moment. I personally think this was a really smart political move. We've said it a number of times. My my view on elections is that it should be a contest of good ideas. All Winston Peters is doing is peddling culture wars. He's far more obsessed with co-governance, trans-related issues, and the wider Freedom New Zealand movement, which is 
primarily anti-science than he is about actually coming up with good ideas that will take New Zealand forward. And my frustration with that is why would you entertain that sort of individual as a coalition partner? I think the earlier you rule them out, the earlier you say to New Zealand, no one is going to work with them if you vote for them, the better off we will all be and they will fall below that 5% threshold and they will perish into dust. I don't like the um, cantankerous and corrupt politics of New Zealand First. Uh, I think they're a stain on New Zealand's democracy. I've been on the podcast and I've said that before. However... Democracy is the worst aside from all the rest, and if that's what the people want, that's what the people get. You know, we get the government that we deserve, that we vote in. And for me, the wording that Chris Hipkins used is very important. He said, um, won't be working with them in government. In government. In government. No, we're all being very cynical. And, you know, there is one puzzle piece that is yet to fall into place to completely obliterate Winston Peters' career, and that is Ian U. Luxon, who is refusing to rule out working with them because he doesn't want to talk about hypothetical scenarios, you know? Well, I don't want to talk about the hypothetical that they might get over the 5% threshold. Sweetheart... All of politics, all of a campaign, all of elections is hypothetical. You're out there promising hypothetical policies to people based on the hypothetical that you win the election. So for him to say, I'm focused on my party and our internal polling doesn't say that they're going to reach 5%, so therefore I'm not going to entertain the hypothetical that I may have to go into coalition with them, just stomp him out, Christopher. Just stomp him out. I do think think it's weak. Honestly, white men, very insecure to the core, and I, I think that's what it is. That's why we need a... Strong, a strong Māori male like Winston Peters. That's why we need him in <laughs> politics. But this is the language is very important, right? So if you say you're going to rule someone out in government, it means they're not in cabinet or have ministers, but you may have to rely on them for confidence and supply. They Which, may give seats and votes to core government work. And so if that's what happens, I think that's a likelihood for both sides of politics. We could end up in a three-year gridlock. If yep. that, that's Again. one of those situations that happens where someone's sitting on the crossbench and you have to go to them decision by decision, policy by policy, act by act to pass it, you will get so f***ed off that you will just call you will call an election in 18 months time and say we've had enough of this sh- and we've seen that happen in democracies abroad mm. Speaking of um, passing acts I think there's a likelihood here that acts vote, acts party vote gets somewhat eaten up by Winston Peters wading into the culture wars because ACT had done a good job of things like gun rights, you know, and property owners rights and all that kind of thing and I think there's a high likelihood that you might start to see the ACT vote share just ease a little bit and that almost certainly goes straight to New Zealand first. It's very interesting you say that because the National Party's polling is starting to look really good among women aged 30 to 50, which has always been an area that they've fallen mm. away from. But what people don't realise, it's because their same vote share between men of that same age range, angry white culture war men. Insecure. Insecure, <laughs> angry white culture war men. One in five men in New Zealand are party voting ACT. Right, so there is. There <laughs> <laughs> I just realised who I'm sitting across from. <laughs> Look, fair enough. People can vote whichever way they want to. Okay, and you know, lots of people can vote for the Green Party, and they should, because they are a party that's coming up with good public policy. They are a party that's coming up with public policy that they intend to drive New Zealand forward, and that is what election should all be about. Byron. And funny, like, did you know what my pit is? That's my pit. We want cities in New Zealand where people have real choice. They have more ability to get around without having to sit in traffic or create more emissions. And we need a step change in public transport in our major cities to achieve this. You get light rail, you get light rail, and you get light rail, and guess what? We've found $12 billion to pay for it. 
Where did they get the money? I don't know. But they also found half a billion dollars for cycleways, which they're going to take out of roads because, of course, like you know, our roads are in great nick. There's no potholes or anything there. But what really grates me is I just spent the week in Australia. Oh, you may have heard looking you, sorry, at when politicians. Quickly, you didn't actually bring me back anything. which is which sucks I brought you back insights that's what I brought you back (laughs) and you're going to have some shared learnings invaluable thank you for the learnings continue back to Julianne Genta so the Green Party say everyone gets light rail everyone gets trams they came up with a 12 billion dollar number and they go oh Auckland gets some light rail yummy it's at grade Christchurch for once features in public transport discussions you can get some light rail which is on a very very strange map if you look at their funky donkey maps it, they make it up it's very bad and then Wellington obviously you can get like rail to Island Bay where next to no one lives so fair enough and what this illustrates to me is politicians choosing projects without the community without actual kind of people that live there saying hey can we get some transport solutions that we can afford, please, that are actually useful for Useful, density. usable, and used. Correct, exactly. You know, sometimes I feel used. Anyway, so... Sometimes I feel useful. <laughs> so this is a clear example of when politicians just choose projects because they're based on votes. You end up with bad outcomes. And I've seen it firsthand in Australia. That's what we're talking about, yeah. And I can see it happening here again. And unfortunately, as much as look, I like roads... I can see it happening with the Nats as well, with their roads and national significance, doing the same thing. We just pick a project, just pick a project, look at a map where there's an electorate and say, oh, boy, you can get some votes out of that. That looks like a purple one. And that is bad public policy from my perspective, and it's really disappointing to see both sides of politics kind of playing. Now, infrastructure is inherently political. Mm. It's public choice on when to spend public money. That's political. We vote these people in to make our decisions. People like stuff. People like stuff. They like things. But without really understanding the business case and seeing a really good example of the community, like local councils that really want these things. I hate seeing this kind of politics. Anyway, that's my pit. What's your pit of the week? Well, type of politics that I hate seeing um, are morons. Oh, we got a couple of those. Who may be democratically elected to represent us and the future of our country. And a couple of those morons come from the ACT Party. And the reason I've picked this as my pit of the week is that I have always been like a very loud supporter of the fact that the ACT Party over the last three years has had some of the most phenomenal discipline in Parliament. In the last two weeks, they have actually had two candidates stand down. First one compared the vaccine mandate to concentration camps. Turns out there was a secret second one who had said something very similar. You know, the fact that ACT have been selecting these people really is a bit of a warning sign of what you could get under a national act New Zealand First Government. Certainly uh, these guys um, I think were the wrong people in terms of the views that they expressed. If we're going to have purity tests and we're going to beat people down and have a right way of thinking, democracy just won't work. They've also had you know, David Seymour out here spouting off around the Ministry of Pacific People saying that he wants to send Guy Fawkes in there and yeah, blow it Guy up. Guy Fawkes didn't, he failed. Yeah, but he, nobody he cares. Like, history if you're gonna history make a dark doesn't joke, remember him like that. So if you're going to make a dark joke, at least pick someone and who did it. it's just a shit dark joke. Like, it's just not that funny. Like, I get it. You know, it's, it's an expression. He was actually talking about wasteful government spending and the bloating of the public sector. But it's election time. And what he has done, and I've said this before, what he has done is he has taken two weeks of coverage mm. of their policy announcements. Mm. And we've seen old mate Tim Vandermolen do the same thing for the blue team, taking coverage off the shit 
that actually matters by not being disciplined and by having, by and large, stupid people open their mouths when they shouldn't. David Seymour should be pretty disappointed in how the last two weeks have been playing out for mm, them. I think the you combine combine that for the ACT Party with exactly what you just talked about, you know, Tim Vandermolen being having to probably be censured by Parliament for uh, intimidating actions. You had Michael Woodhouse uh, lashing out there about not being on the list or whatever. Imagine if you got censured in this office for intimidating actions. <laughs> yeah, anyway, um, you, you had, um, you know, the stuff around like Barbara Kuruga is still hanging around there. Mm. You've got this kind of almost uh, arrogance and misbehaviour floating around on the right. Mm, and that turns voters off. That turns them off. And one thing that we'll constantly talk about on this podcast over the election period is turnout. When voters are turned off by the major parties and their support partners, they just don't turn up. They don't rock up. They and don't rock up. We've been talking a lot about how that's probably going to be an issue of the centre-left. Mm. But, yeah, likewise. More of the starts ways. happening on the centre-right. Same thing will happen. Guarantee it. What do you reckon voter turnout's going to be? I think we're going to be um, low for us, which is about 75%. Yeah, I was going to say 76, 77%. Yeah, cool. Pretty but similar. Group think, everybody. Group think, which like. last selection we were at about 82? Yeah, we are at low 80s, which yeah. is amazing when you don't have compulsory voting. Yeah, and I mean, you talk to our colleagues in Australia who are absolutely blown away by yeah, that. Yeah, they die on a hill over compulsory voting. Yeah, they and they don't. It's a big deal. And they're like, oh, you can turn up and scribble on your ballot. And it's like, well, why would you bother turning up to do nothing? Yeah, exactly. So I think, I think that's kind of coercive. Anyways. Um, hold on up. Hold on up. First one, teaching financial literacy in schools. Oh. Half of all New Zealanders being deeply anxious about money at the moment. Not. And lastly, Te Patamari standing a 20-year-old candidate. Could likely be the youngest parliamentarian ever. The number four, eh? Yeah. Yeah, not hot. Why's that? You need to grow up a bit if you're going to represent people. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, my hold on up. Heckler's on the campaign. Hot. Yeah, absolutely. Cost of living, not the government's fault. Uh, no, it's factually <laughs> incorrect. And ag's entry into emissions pricing delayed yet again. Hot. Oh. I know, it's spicy, Woo-hoo. but we're actually not ready. We do not have the technology. We should not punish our rural communities for the fact we're not there yet. That's spicy. It is. All right, look, if you don't stand for something, fall for anything. Until then, we'll see, we'll see you, see you next, next week. week.